welcome to the Fit to Talk podcast. Thank you for joining us as we bring you meaningful, helpful, and accurate information. And remind you that fitness doesn't have to be boring. Right now, you're listening to a guest episode during which we discuss the realities of a career in the performing arts with people who are fit to talk about it. That is right. And if you like what we do, then go ahead. Please leave us a review. Oh. Uh, or on Spotify, click that follow button. Yes, and we have an incredible guest for you today. Yes, we do, Stefan. <laughs> Our guest today is a children's chaperone. He has to deal with the divas of the future. He uh, does. He's worked on many West End shows, including Matilda the Musical, School of Rock, Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. Absolute banger. <laughs> Lame is. And the recent revival of Mary Poppins. He works on the Netflix movie ad- adaptation of Matilda the Musical and is about to join the UK and Ireland tour of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory as head of the children's department. It's the awesome Mitch Colbuck. Hey! hey. The crowd goes wild. Yes, yes. <laughs> you, Mitch. Well, Bobby often presses a random button, but sometimes it's not applause. Oh. So. That did nothing. I heard nothing. Oh. <laughs> Some fade I out faded it. I faded it as well. Not ideal to introduce you and have laughter. That, well, yeah. But, story of my life. But in a positive way. Yeah. <laughs> I think we'll have that. Um, before we kick off, we've got a, a re- request for you. Mm. It's called Liar Liar. We're wondering if at some point during this episode, you would be able to try and tell us a little lie. Well, I'm going to try and slip one in without you noticing. And Ben, would you mind telling us a little <laughs> lie? <laughs> Yes, filthy dad jokes today. There'll be plenty more of those to come, let me tell you. So I hear Mitch is willing. Uh, and <laughs> we will go from there. Bobby's already halfway out. We just started. Oh, just, oh, I can't cope today. Oh, God. He's had so many dad jokes from me today. He's not sure what, what, what he's doing with his life. Um, so tell us, uh, how does the story of Mitch begin? Well... The story of Mitch begins in a place called Derby, which unsurprisingly is in Derbyshire. Ah, <laughs> I was wondering. Because Stefan has no idea where Derby is. I Stephen. don't. Yeah, I have no clue. <laughs> I think I've been. Yeah, probably. But I still yeah. don't know where it actually is. It is right in the middle of the UK. It's the dead mm. centre of England uh, between Nottingham, Leicester and Birmingham. Okay. Yeah. Proper Midlands. Yeah. Proper Midlands, but nobody ever gets off the train there. So you just pass through. Just pass straight through. Okay. It's, it's near Alton Towers, I remember, vaguely. Is it? Kind of. Vaguely. <laughs> I always used to remember going to Alton Towers and then seeing the sign for Derby. And I was like, oh, there it is. There's Derby. Because <laughs> I used to have, when I was young, you know, remember they used to do like uh, fantasy football, um, but you had to like post your entry in fantasy football. My team in fantasy football was Derby. Oh, Derby County. What are the chances? Oh. Come on, you Rams. <laughs> the Rams. <laughs> <laughs> That's so, literally all I know about football. <laughs> That's so the extent it, of it. And it's more than me. But, yeah. well, so <laughs> what do you... Remember of growing up in Derby. Derby. Well, (laughs) (laughs) just basically school. That's what I remember. Like I was a nice little public school boy, not like the private school kids that I get to work with a lot now. And so, growing up in Derby, unless you were into football, unless you um, wanted to work for Rolls Royce, that's where their factory is. um, There wasn't many prospects really, particularly if you wanted to work in the arts, which I knew quite early on that I did. Uh, but luckily, in secondary school, I um, my form tutor was the head of drama and creative arts in, in the school that I went to. And we had, I still think even now, one of the best drama departments 
in the county, really. And so from there, he ran a youth theatre called the Derby Youth Theatre. And so for me, a lot of my time growing up in Derby was all about my Wednesday nights going to youth theatre. Um, and it took president over all of my schoolwork completely. And so that's my main memory of life in Derby, really, pretending that I was in the West End <laughs> from like <laughs> age 12 onwards. I'm doing that now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <Same>. <laughs> Until last week, anyway. Yeah. Hey! I, uh, so that I'm sorry, I don't even know what I'm saying. The experience of growing up in that place and having either sport or, mm-hmm. you know, this localized sort of um, industry of the Rolls Royce in that position, I, I sort of identify with that quite a lot uh, with my upbringing. Uh, how did you feel you needed to escape that? A hundred percent. And actually, I think I was quite successful at escaping that. Really. Yeah, yes, well, you are. <laughs> I mean, um, that chap I was talking about, Andy Price, he sadly died a couple of years ago. And we just had a memor- memorial evening at the school, my old school. And uh, a lot of the things people talked about there was creating this place of safety and belonging. And I think it's so important in, in any kind of school experience, really. But, you know, in terms of fitness, you know, it was either like you were in um, the popular group excelling at sport and doing all of those kind of athletic athletic activities or you were other and I was definitely other and um that's why in my brain fitness was never really part of my world yeah even until I went to drama school like that was when I first thought oh I need to up my game a little bit here mm. you know me start dancing every day and all that kind of thing um but it was completely disconnected in my brain and that was just a kind of formative experience really isn't it of growing yeah. up in that kind of situation. Well, I think my experience of that, and I know I think yours is similar, uh, and I don't know about you, Bobby, but was growing up that you had PE, which was mm-hmm. sport. Yeah. Yes. Right. It wasn't, or in my experience, it wasn't an education, like a physical education in how to look after your body or use your body. It was sports. Do you remember the beep test? Yeah. Ah, oh, the beep test. Yeah. That Classic. was like, honestly, something you'd see probably in a concentration camp somewhere. <laughs> oh my goodness like, me. <laughs> but I mean, you know, that kind of activity where, you know, if, if you don't make the cut, you're out Yeah. early on. And mm. it wasn't just that one hour session. That was like a kind of social thing as well. Yeah. You know, wow. you're not fit enough. It's fascinating. Was that your, Bobby, what was your experience like? Was it yeah, like that? it was, it was. I mean, the PE was just sport. And if you weren't good at sport, you weren't popular. And yeah, kind of, that's kind of very much it. what it came down and to. You know, and I tell this story to my kids, um, and they never believe me. They think I'm making it up. It's absolutely true. That's not the lie. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I remember a rugby class where I was so bad, and I had no interest either because I was bad. Um, and the um, the teacher made me stand and get tackled. One, so the other boys were lining up in front of me, and one at a time they have to run at me and tackle me, and I just have to stand up again. In the mud. <laughs> what? Yeah. That's brutal. You could not do that Jesus, today, could no. you? No way would you yeah. get away with that now. Well, that's just... Uh, did any other kids have to do this? <laughs> yes, me and the other loser. <laughs> so What? Yeah. So it's essentially bullying? Uh, um, that was my experience and kind of emotional memory of it, yeah. That's just, so yeah. sad. I, I, I wasn't one of that group of, of people in school. Personally, I was very much on, on the outside of that, even though... I was actually quite good at sport. I just wasn't socially part of of those groups, and uh, <laughs> so. But I think I avoided that outcome, and uh, that a couple of people definitely experienced in that that way. And it's so sad. And I wonder 
why that is such a common story across schools across this entire yeah. country. I mean, I'd like to think that things have changed now. I don't know. Yeah, I hope so. I wonder if it's that the teachers are the people that were doing the bullying in school in the first place. Quite possibly. Yeah, probably. Just like it's like a revolving door of like yeah. they then train up the next, yeah, the next yeah. generation of bullies. Yeah, because our, our sports teacher was very—he was literally just an older version of those mm. people. Yeah, and horrible. And so you, he had no sympathy or, or care for anyone other than the the kids that were quite good at football or rugby and that was it um maybe that was a massive <laughs> bold statement to say all PE teachers are bullies well, you know, in, i was just thinking now there was one story that has really stuck with me and it was a gym class and we had one PE teacher called clarence wiggins who was from um mid-america um like a, a bas ex-basketball player so that was kind of unusual as it was and so <laughs> one time we were in a gym and it was not a good gym. It was a terrible gym that was probably quite dangerous to use anyway. But somebody shouted some kind of derogatory gay boy comment at me. Um, and he stopped the class and he said, you know, I saw this guy in a play on Friday. I don't think a lot of you could do what he did. And for that one moment, the balance shifted. I remember that clearly, like he was on, on my side. Wow! Just to balance the other mm. trunchbull teacher that we're talking about there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what a that's such a powerful moment. First of all, to not let that pass by and just go, oh, don't yeah. do that, but yeah. to stop in, the in class. The mid nineties as well. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like that's yeah. a. Yeah. Do you think that? Uh, did you already know that you wanted to go down the sort of arts route, or do you think maybe that was at a point that you go, oh, that's he's sort of telling you that there's a world in which this <laughs> this exists and is accepted. I was already very comfortable um, early on. I went. Um, probably age nine, I went to my first um, drama class outside of school and stuff. And within the end of the second week, I remember clearly the guy said to me that he wanted to speak to my mum at the end. And um, I kind of shut myself a little bit because I didn't know what that was what about. What have I done? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but he said, uh, this this kid's really good. Uh, and I wanted him to come to the, to, to the, um, to the real, the main school. And uh, they gave her a discount and stuff. So that was yeah, the first time nice. when I kind of knew that that was my thing and my, my niche. So that was junior school. Wow. You know, so I had that all through junior school. So by the time I got to senior school and again, having um, the head of creative arts as our form tutor, I was, I was in my element. Yeah. So I was confident enough to deal with the bullies, but mm. I think um, growing up in that experience, in that kind of environment, you, you're in survival mode, whether you realize it or not. It's not until later on when you're out of it in the real world where those kind of echoes come back later on. Yeah. yeah. But at the time we got through it. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I really, really love, I, I, well, big up to Clarence Wiggins. Go on, Clarence. God rest his soul. Another one. Oh, goodness. Yeah. But legend. Yeah. He, he can stay. We'll never forget him. <laughs> so you said that that led you at some point from from this school, I'm assuming, through to a drama school. Yeah. Which one was it? It was the Midlands Academy of Dance and Drama. Ah. Yeah. Otherwise known as? You don't know? Midlands Academy of Dance. Mad? Mad? Mad College. And I hate it. Mad. It's so reductive. Mad College. Mad for it. Mad. mad, mad their their mad. tagline is mad for performing arts. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It makes sense. Well, it does work. Yeah. It works. It works. It's on brand. I mean, you've got to work yeah. with what you've got, haven't you? Yeah. yeah. That's the name of the college. So mm -hmm. why not use it? Yeah. Uh, and what was that experience like? Um, well, for me, it was uh, pushing my comfort zone because I'd never danced a step until I was 19. Like nothing. And suddenly I'm there doing ballet with people who've done it all their lives and jazz. 
and tap. Um, and even though I was on the acting, uh, the scene and acting major course, it was a challenge because it wasn't just like movement for actors. It, it was, we were in the same class with the same people, mm. the same teachers, you know, and expected to keep up. Yeah. So yeah, that was an experience. And in fact, my second week learning to tap dance. Did you guys tap early? Were you early tappers? No. No? I was an early tapper, yeah. Was you? Yeah. About like age 10, I think I started tap. Oh, lucky yeah, you. I, I never started tap. <laughs> hey, 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 I've seen you tap. Yeah. <laughs> Hang on, I'm just thinking about a role you played recently. Yeah. <laughs> what was it? <laughs> Were you not tapping in Joseph? Oh, yeah, I was, yeah. Yeah, yeah but that was bad. Tap sandals. Yeah. Well, any, oh, yeah. Put me well, in the back. Anyway, <laughs> in my second week of tap dancing, my, my shins just exploded. Like, completely. I couldn't walk upstairs. Wow. And uh, do you remember block shoes? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Split soles. Oh, yes. So Love I ended up going to the white ones. Mine were black. Oh, like you white ones. Yeah, jo- <laughs> you're fancy. Joseph, the first time round, we wore white split soles. Oh, trainers. Wow. What a treat on the eyes those are. They were. I mean, are they disgusting. even sold anymore? Uh, I, I don't know. Dangerous. <laughs> well, that was the thing I showed my physiotherapist this shoe, and he mm. just laughed and said, "You cannot wear those for yeah. any kind of physical activity." Yeah. There's no support. No, n- nothing. Literally nothing. Yeah. But they are glorious. And by glorious, I mean, we hated them at the time. We just thought they were hilarious. Yeah. I don't know how they're glorious. They're just... That's why. Because they're funny. Anything that brings... They are funny. Comedy are value, funny. Yeah, I'm true. kind of here for. True. People are like, oh my God, I can't wear these. And I'm like, but it is funny. Mm. They're hilarious. So yeah, They're really easy to pirouette in. They are. They actually had a spinning, like a little... Yeah, you got that little circle <laughs> on the bottom. That really? You could, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah like either. a slippy part of the shoe you could just spin on. Yeah. So just cheating. Yeah, you feel majestic when you're, in your stu- <laughs> when you're in one of those studios <laughs> with the floor is like yes. glue and you can't turn when you're in just like a normal yeah. trainer. And then you slip on a pair of those and you're like spinning. <laughs> beautiful. Like, uh, guys, I'm... I'm done. Like, I feel like an absolute yeah. boss right now. I can't stop. No. <laughs> I can't stop. Perpetual motion is happening. 48, 49. So how did you get from that uh, position to chaperoning? Complete accident. And it's um, it's kind of a long story, but hey, we've got an hour, right? Yeah. <laughs> you got more. You got more. We've got an hour. So um, I did my three years training to be an actor. And um, in, in my second and third year, I was lucky enough to be one of the, the working students you know like over christmas you get christmas jobs and stuff and you're allowed to take time off from your studies to go and get some experience uh and it was all children's theater really like panto or tie and all that kind of thing with a lot of um workshops theater workshops for children um and then when i graduated finally from drama school the worst thing that could happen to any performer i lost all of my confidence almost overnight completely um, and coupled with a kind of breakup at the time, I dove into what I thought was safety, which was get a normal job, uh, get a flat, get a car, be successful in another way. Um, and then over time, well, firstly, doing all that on your own is expensive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah. I ended yeah. up teaching uh, children's acting classes for theatre schools, uh, local theatre schools, and that snowboard, I was doing two, three, four nights a week. Uh, all over the East Midlands until I could eventually give up my career <laughs> in the NHS of three years and do that constantly. Um, what I didn't realise at the time was that you needed a licence to put children in theatres. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and 
clearly neither did the the heads of, of this this school. And luckily, it was um, it was a, a big franchise I was working for. And so from head office came the orders that we all needed to get our chaperone licenses. And I was saying, what is this? I don't want to do this. Yeah. And um, when you get your license, you're, you're put onto um, your local authorities' books, like your, your local council's books. And so one day I got an email from a lady called Joe Hawes saying, hello, I've seen your name on a list. I'm looking for local chaperones to work on the curve Leicester's production of Oliver for three months. So I thought, well, lovely. That's some nice evening work, nice and easy. And I got there and I just adored it. It was a mix of the life that I thought I was going to have as a performer, um, coupled with everything I love about teaching and work with children, all in one job. And to think that people were making a career out of this somewhere, I was like, sign me up. And uh, she did, thankfully. It's kind of a funny story because she said, um, come and meet me for an interview at Curve, yellow handbag. <laughs> Did you ever meet Joe Horse? No. Wonderful lady. Changed my life. Um, but yeah, yellow handbag. So I, I'm there turning up at Leicester Curve in the coffee shop looking for this yellow handbag and I find it. And while I'm in, in the queue for the coffee, for the cafe, um, I start seeing all these kind of familiar faces, like, you know, ZZ Strahl and all these kind of people. I'm like, mm. And somebody who taught me at Mad College, Midlands Academy of Dance and Drama, <laughs> uh, was one of my old tutors called Mark Hedges. And he said, what do you know, Mark? I know who Mark is. Yeah. yeah. And he said, what on earth are you doing here? And I told him who I was interviewing for. And he went, leave it with me. And so, yeah, weird, weird set of circumstances. So I sit down at this table and um, she said, well, I've just spoke to Wedgie uh, and he's told me that you're fantastic. And that's all I need to know, really. <laughs> I mean, you know, not to discredit her, because Mark mm. knows what he's doing. And, and the reason Mark was there, in fact, was because he was the um, children's director on the UK tour of Mary Poppins, which had just opened. That's why she was there. So I sit at this table, and then behind her, in this kind of VIP booth, sits Cameron McIntosh. <laughs> so I'm there, like, walking out of a hospital into a theatre, meeting all these kind of industry greats. My mind's blown. Mm. And, um, yeah, from then on, the rest is history, really. Wow. And so well, they must have had or been this really f feeling of importance then in that moment. You're like, I have been sort of let into the really the the depths of this <laughs> this world yeah. quite rapidly. And it feels or it sounds certainly like a couple of people kind of helped you out. Do you know, and I don't mean to get mystical, but I am a big believer in things happen for a reason. Mm. And, you know, a, a few a few factors came together on that one day and it really felt like it was the right thing to be doing. And that I was meant to be there. Yeah. Yeah. Because goodness me, without, without that, you wouldn't have had all the many, many experiences that Bobby mentioned. Yeah. What a wonderful thing, though, to like kind of look back and you can, go, you can kind of boil down how your life has kind of panned out. That's yeah. that one moment. You go, yeah. this one moment kind of changed a lot for me moving forward. So I think yeah. that's just a really yeah. nice thing to be able to look back and go. Yeah. Yellow handbag. Yeah. Yellow handbag. There we go. Did you experience any sense of uh, loss or regret for the for the, the performing career that you thought you'd have? I get asked this all the time. Uh, and even now when people find out that that's what I trained to do. And the answer is honestly no, because in my own way, I've been so much more successful mm -hmm. in, in this line of work. And it's not a line of work that I ever knew existed when I was training to be, to, to do this as a living, you know. Um, I would never have thought of it. I, I would never have thought that that would have been a strength of mine. Um, 
but here we are. The universe had different plans, didn't it? Yeah. Uh, so the answer is no. And I think of the amazing experiences I've had. Because, um, of course, essentially, being a chaperone, we're in the room for all for a lot of the important creative decisions with the children. And Joseph, for example, because uh, I did Joseph the first time. Well, I say the first time. The revival. Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> 2019. the year afterwards, we right? Did. Yes, we yeah. Did. And, um, you know, I'm in rooms with Andrew Webber, Tim Rice, Lawrence Connor, you know, Sheridan Smith and Jason, you know. Yeah. I'm just thinking, if I could have told my 10-year-old self this when I was listening to that original CD, you know. Yeah. Um, it's it's crazy. So the answer is no, because I am living my dreams in a different way. I really, I, I actually, you've told me that before. I knew the answer to that question, but I really, I love hearing it because it's, <laughs> it's something that I think most performers question what they're doing at different times mm-hmm. and also question if there is light at the end of the tunnel or happiness in another direction for them. And I think it's really comforting and reassuring, even as somebody who still performs to go, oh, I could change career and actually maybe love that as much or more than this and be really happy and content with that. And I think that's a really important thing. Yeah. I think there's like this idea with performing that there's this fixed goal. You have this one, you've, you've performed your whole life. You go, no, there's, I've got one goal and that is to be a performer. Mm. That's not true. That's, that's what you, at that point, when you first started, you go, that is my goal. But then things change. Like you, you find other things you love, you work. It's, it's a very flexible, like it's a journey. And I think to have that like idea that it's just one end point is, we need to kind of try and wipe that out and try and go and say, look, no, there's so many op- opportunities, so many careers and po- career pathways that you might enjoy even more than performing and that you might not know about yet. Yeah. Which is, and that's great that you didn't, you didn't even know that chaperoning was a thing going not into it. And then to have kind of worked your way into the situation where you're doing something you absolutely love now, it's just a wonderful thing to hear. Uh, honestly, because I did perform as a child. Um, quite a lot. So I had loads and loads of different chaperones um, look after me and I really, really clearly remember the ones that I absolutely love. And <laughs> Same. Yeah. And, and, and they've, they've stayed with me and had such a lovely impact. And I'm still in contact with some of those people as, as adults. That's great. And the one thing from working with you, like the kids love you. <laughs> like they, you have this wonderful skill and ability when you work with them to to have them respect you which i think is the hardest mm. thing and also for them to like you find you funny and oh. want to be around you and still do what they're told like that's <laughs> an almost impossible yeah. task so how was it always like that was it like that when you first jumped in and you were like cool i'm actually just naturally really good at this or, or was there a lot learning curve um I, I would say that there was a learning curve and it does honestly differ on show to show and uh, which team I'm working with. My first job ever was um, was Matilda. And, well, it's not my first job ever. My, my first full-time West End job was Matilda. And I found the need in that particular environment at that time, just to clarify, um, to to be a bit of, um, to take a more of a softer approach to kind of counterbalance other things that are happening. Uh, that show asks a lot of the children. Mm. Um, they are, as far as I'm concerned, athletes, every single one of them. Oh my goodness, yeah. They are elite. You know, they're they're the best of their dance schools. Mm. Um, and the show, to, to keep it as sharp and as amazing as it is, it has to be, you know, rightfully so, in some respects, quite tough on them. And um, so for me, sometimes I wanted to give them a little bit of a break from that. Yeah. Um, where you can, you know, uh, the, 
in that that show, for example, does require an element of discipline. Discipline for children who aren't listening. <laughs> the Lynn joke there. Oh. Uh, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I've forgotten what the hell I'm talking about. My approach. Yeah. Yeah, and and uh, you touched on something interesting there, like you know, you watching all of these different shows and mm. and across the the spectrum of shows that you've done, you are sort of cultivating these young people as people and taking care of them. And obviously then, you know, you go to care about each of them because you know their families, you know them and and care about them. And then you sort of hand them over for a period of time whilst you're often still in the room to people who have to direct them or or choreograph them or whatever it might be, who might be subpar at that in some way. (laughs) Uh, How do you manage that in that? sense if somebody is because you know i've definitely worked with with people who are cruel to the to the children in that Mm -hmm. way so like has that happened is that part of your experience or or? that happened to me on my second week um (laughs) on a show yes on a show that should remain (laughs) nameless (laughs) Um, yes it did it happened to me on my second week and um it was horrifying and actually um it made me question whether this is what i wanted to do because you know two weeks into a job you think that this is normal and uh it wasn't. And now I'm really thankful for that experience. But at the time it was quite traumatic. Mm, yeah. uh, and I felt quite ostracized myself for having spoken up. Um, but, you know, you think to yourself, would would you be happy to let an adult be spoken to like that, let alone a child who isn't fully emotionally developed? Mm. Um, not at all. So I, I was in a rehearsal room, um, just walked in and a creative stopped uh, the session and said, if, if you guys want to play like this, you should know that I'm capable of acting like a vicious animal and neither your parents or these chaperones will stop me. Well, I was horrified and mortified and um, I I wrote a report there and then. Yeah. Um, so, yes, I think, I think people should be aware, creatives as well, that chaperones are a legal requirement. And we do have the power to stop any proceedings uh, in the rehearsal room if we don't think it's in the child's best interests or, you know, derogatory to their development or yeah. experience on the show. Uh, and I think people should be more aware of that, really, because I think it might stop that kind of behaviour. Um, thankfully, it's only happened to me once. It's never happened again. Um, and I would encourage any chaperone in that situation to absolutely stop and pull the children. Yes, it's 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 hard. It's a hard one because in the rehearsal room, there's a kind of hierarchy, isn't there? Oh my goodness! Yeah. Of you know, creatives. You got you got your original creatives, then you have got your associates and all this kind of thing. And chaperones, a lot of the time on a lot of shows, are seen as um, kind of background dinner lady kind of people, you know. Um, and actually, there's much more to it than that. Yeah, yeah, that absolutely is. It's such. A, I think it's such a. It's such a huge role and it's such a difficult thing to do, I think, having kind of worked on these shows where there have been kids, to see the amazing job that chaperones do in that parents hand over their children to you. You are you are responsible for them. And then to have to look after those children, nurture them, to deal with the pressures of performing and with those kind of elements coming in from creatives that to an adult would be 
incredibly hard to deal with and right. go home and try and process. But for that to happen to a child and then the responsibility, responsibility to be on you to right. get that child through that, that's a, an unbelievable job you do. And it's, remember that some of these kids as well aren't at home. They're, they're living away from home that we are looking after them, in, mm. you know, oftentimes in London. They don't have the support net network that they might necessarily have at home. They have us. Um, and it is, it is because on the one hand, you're representing the company. On the other hand, you're fully representing the children in their best interests. So it, it is a very much a middle man, middle ground job, you know. Um, and, I, I, you know, most of the time, creatives, performers are all on our side and we all like to work together. But on the on the rare occasions where they aren't, um, you need to be tough. Yeah. Mm. I've just had a flashback to... Uh... A show? <laughs> no, it was it was to Matilda, and, <laughs> and in the first week of rehearsals, you have this chat about the kids, yeah. right? And they take you aside and have this this big meeting with everybody that comes into contact with the children, and you sort of have this on most shows in various ways. But on Matilda, obviously, it's such a huge deal because they are the show, right. and you know they they give you this spiel. It's like an hour, and then it, the the one bit that always really stuck with me was that if you see you're in the theatre and you're on your way to your dressing room and down the corridor you see one of the kids crying and they're they're by themselves and they're going help or like they go what are you supposed to do <laughs> and the answer is run away <laughs> I, I mean it's just so misguided isn't it it's crazy <laughs> they're like you cannot be alone with one of them ever because there's no evidence of anything else so literally like if the if you see one Leave them be. And you're like, but they could be hurt if they're on the floor <laughs> bleeding. They're like, run and get someone else. And you're like, but, yeah, yeah. but uh, okay. Avoid a lawsuit at all costs. Yeah, yeah, yeah because yeah. It, you know who knows what that that kid sure. might say or whatever it is, and it, it is that it's lawsuit avoidance yeah. uh, and and for your own protection. Well, I understand it completely, but it does go against all of your instincts. You go, well, this kid might be in distress or whatever it is. But like, well. Yeah, it, but it might look like something else yeah. to someone else. I mean, hopefully if the chaperone's doing their job, a child would never be on their own yeah. in the workplace anyway. A hundred percent. It does happen though. Like yeah. a kid can panic. In, in, it happened in Matilda a couple of times where a child would panic on stage and run off stage by the nearest yes. exit. Oh yeah, And that's the wrong exit. So they're on the wrong side of the stage and there isn't a chaperone there for a kid who's now having a panic attack. And they're like, oh my God. And then the chaperone's like, Run! <laughs> but then they're probably holding on to two other children yes, in the wing yes. anyway. That was probably me. <laughs> so you're like, you're like, oh my god, I've got to be around the other side like magic now. Yeah. And then someone on the other side is going, why is there no chaperone here? And you're like, because Stay they're not meant to come off yeah, this yeah. side <laughs> of the bloody stage. That's it. So it's a it's a stressful job. Um, how on earth do you take care of yourself when you're doing this job? When your responsibility is the care of so many others. Yeah. How does that affect you? Um, a lot of us work in different ways. For me, it's about protecting my downtime. Um, I'm a big believer in not being able to pour from an empty cup. If, I'll say me, if I'm tired or if a chaperone is tired, um, the, the child care is going to suffer because you're not going to be as patient as you are usually, you know. Um so for me, getting the work-life balance is essential. It's hard, particularly on a tour. It's mm. really hard um, because, again, productions will cut costs where they can. Um, and rather than being overstaffed, because childcare is expensive, right? You know, you've got your overnight rates for your for your adults. You've got all your meals for the children and the adults, accommodation for the children and the adults. You know, so they're going to try and cut costs where they can legally. But that can mean that you know people suffer from burnout. Mm. both physical and mental. I've seen it happen. Mm. It's happened to me. Um, so now, particularly as I'm about to tour again, I'm 
I made clear with, with production earlier on that we need to be able to have downtime for everybody. Yeah. It needs to be an even distribution of work. Um, it's easier in town than it is on tour. Mm. But for me personally, that is what I do. It's making sure that I, I have the work-life balance, particularly when living with the kids. Um, and of course, this year, I've decided to sign up with a personal trainer. Tis I. I was going to say, who might that be? <laughs> Tis I. Yeah, because um, I think it's important to have a focus outside mm. of work as well. Yeah. Yeah, that, that personal development is so good. And one of the things we spoke about actually mm. was was that of going, oh, I spend this time every day, every two days, whatever it might be, working on a better version of me so that when other things are really, really stressful, you go, well, this is still going well. Yeah. Like, and it can be a little island of like of hope and progress in in a craziness around yeah. and that. stability as well in a way mm. yeah you know just something to, to really focus on um and something that you can just like you say just lose yourself in a little bit yeah now when you're in a house living with kids mm -hmm. how on earth do you take some kind of control over what food you take in how is that possible <laughs> it's difficult because children are very, very simplistic eaters in my experience. You know, I don't want to tie them all the same brush, but usually it's pasta with no sauce, a bit of butter, you know, <laughs> a, a cheese toasty, anything with flavour is out of the window. They, you know, chicken nuggets and mm. chips, that kind of thing. Um, and so essentially that's what, that's what is in the household a lot of the time. So, um, and, you know, on tour particularly, we, we had catered hotel food and it was, lasagna, pasta, chips, mm. you know, almost every day. Um, white bread sandwiches for, for lunch, you know, and after eight weeks, <laughs> you know, and, and Matilda was an example. I ballooned. I really did balloon on that tour. And so I started, um, sup well, not really supplementing, replacing meals, which I know you're not a fan of <laughs> at all. But at the time, you know, it, it did get me through and, you know, I had a vitamin inside of me, which was great. Um, <laughs> just one. Just one, one single one. 26 that I needed. Yeah. So um, now I'm much more mindful about my food. Um, and particularly now that you are encouraging me to eat more, which is often not what my instinct is telling me to do. Mm. But that's a lifetime of, that's like going to drama school, isn't it? <laughs> that's, that's the drama yep. school effects. Yeah. 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 It's often the case I find, uh, you must find this as well, like mm. people come to me and they go, I'm trying to lose weight. And I'm like, well, okay, you're X height, X age, X, X weight, and you're eating 1,100 calories a day. Yeah. Like your body's not burning fat because it thinks it's starving. Yeah. Mm. So it, like there's a bunch of stuff that's happened that normally each case is different, like, but you're, you're not eating enough. You don't have enough muscle. Yeah. Like there's a bunch of stuff we need to fix. It is more complicated than that. But, but it's so weird, you yeah. know, to be told that, and to actually, as I know from my 12 weeks work, you know, it's yeah. so odd. And it's something I've avoided a lot of, spent a lot of my life avoiding, you know. It does feel counterintuitive. Even when you yeah. say it out, out loud to people, you go, I know this sounds nuts. And I, mm. I know I said to you, I was like, but, you know, put your trust in me for this time period and judge it based on the outcome. And, and hopefully then you'll, you'll see. And is it worth putting up with that for this period of time to potentially get where you want to be. Mm -hmm. And uh, yes. <laughs> the answer is, is yes. yes. <laughs> it is. Now, when you are on tour, mm -hmm. like we all know in this room that that is a, a lonely lifestyle. Yes. Even uh, we only have experience of it as performers <clears throat> when you are around other performers. But when you're surrounded by 
what maybe two other chaperones, maybe more if it's on a huge job. Yeah. But rarely all at once. Uh, usually split up into groups doing different jobs. And other other than that, just children. How do you is that lonely? And if so, how do you deal with it? Um yes, it is lonely. Uh there's no real way around it. It's quite an ostracizing lifestyle. Um, and again, it comes down to the, the work-life balance that I was talking about earlier. So on this tour, there's only going to be me who's the full-time chaperone. Everybody else is week on, week off. So they have a full week with us and then a week of normality. And that's mm. the same for the children as well. Um, so me, myself, I'm, I'm going to make time to be able to, um, for me, visit home, visit my dogs more regularly than I would have been doing in London, um, you know, knowing that everything's covered. Um, and again, going to the gym, keeping fit, is a great way for me to be able to keep my um, head above water, as it were. Yeah. Mm. Even in the pool. Yeah. Uh, because. Doggy paddle all the way. Uh, <laughs> rest stroke. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's trial and error. It's, mm. it's not always good, as I'm sure you both know. Yeah. yeah. It really depends on where you are, doesn't it? Yeah. Some cities are better than others. Yeah, do you have any do you have any tips about that? Because like I'm sure we can crack out a couple for for touring. But let's say somebody's a entering the chaperone game. Like, how do you stave off any loneliness that might might crop up? Um, there's no easy answer. Yeah, there really is no easy answer. I think it depends on the kind of um person that you are. If you enjoy your own company, you know, great. Um, I think it's important to make friends within the company. Don't keep yourself separated. Mm. Um at all because it's easy to do it's easy to just focus on the children and what you're doing but actually you know to, to be involved is so important in the touring family um for me i've bought myself a brompton bike this year yeah you're <laughs> nice <laughs> quite easy to tour right yeah you know, just, to, just get out there and um to, to see what you can locally within the city centers and things like that um i love a brompton yeah I, yeah, so cool. I, I consider I, I, we well, discussed this earlier on. I can't ride a bike, but uh, <laughs> but I, I, when I was like, right, let's learn. I was like, I want a Brompton, and I was like, okay, I can't afford a Brompton. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're great. I love them. They're awesome. Ooh. They are they one look of the, so cool as well. They do they? look. They look cool. awesome. They're the only fold-up bike that actually folds up to a size that I'm like, okay, yeah. well, that is a, a manageable sure. size. That it doesn't feel like putting it in your cupboard is going to take up your entire cupboard. Mm. Obviously, they do have smaller wheels to to go. Compromise for us. An affordable pedal. A foldable pedal. And almost all aspects of it are customizable. <laughs> Honestly, we're not sponsored by Brompton. No. Maybe if they want us, yeah, yeah. feel yeah. free. Fit to Brompton. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, baby. Yeah. Then it's going to really sell code. it when they go, here, there's two guys who can't ride a bike. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I can learn to ride on a Brompton, document the whole process, and they'll give us the Brompton for that process. Yeah. If anyone works for them, can you just get in touch? And uh, I'm willing to attempt it. <laughs> we <laughs> for a Brompton, we know I'll you're willing to attempt it. Yeah. <laughs> now that was a tangent, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah we love <laughs> a tangerine. Oh, do love a tangerine? <laughs> do, now we've really we've we're lost. We've lost it. We've, we have. Yeah, good. <laughs> uh, so we've chatted about chatted about uh, mental health and that food aspect. So you know when you develop these like this sort of like cultivating a fantastic relationship with, with these children. What's it like when the show ends? Heartbreaking mm. uh, for everybody involved. And I think if it isn't, then probably you're doing something wrong. Um, I don't think you, 
you could do this well without caring about the kids and what you're doing and their journey. Um, on a show like Matilda, for, I'm talking about the sh- in London, it's a machine. You know, you've got new kids coming in all the time. It's almost cyclical. Mm. Uh, when it's Mary Poppins, for example, you've got two kids at a time. Yeah. Um, you, you can't help, but you, you know, six to 12 months in a child's life, you think back to school, that's a huge chunk, isn't it? That's a yeah. huge mm. chunk of your memory from their perspective. Um, it, you can't help but sometimes feel like you're, you're part of the family, um, yeah. you know, and you're not, remember that, but you, you know, I want them to have the, the, the best experience. I want them to, to feel supported completely. Mm. Um, and I think supporting their kind of emotional development is a big part of that. It's a big part of the job. And I think anybody who is scared, for example, to care about the children, you know, I, I've seen before that um, a child on their last days, it's heartbroken, for example, crying you know breaking their heart crying their eyes out and chaperone won't hug them because of what people might say yeah you know. oh those on matilda on, on tour obviously they would be with you for six months yeah and then they'd leave the odd one might stay as, as it happened yeah. uh, they'd make exceptions for for certain things and not <laughs> sure how it works but they'd have these parties mm. which were like farewell to this set of kids yeah. and and you know everyone's invited to this thing and they would just be totally heartbroken yeah. and some of them some of those matildas specifically were with us for a year that's right of that <sighs> job and you know i was really i think privileged in my uh, role in that show that i got to do a beautiful little scene with just with that with each matilda and so you know got to know them in rehearsals and and through the show every night and these wonderful little people that, that i had barely any contact with compared to you and then it comes to them leaving. You go, oh, like I, I care about your life. I, I want mm. you to be happy and do well and do this stuff. And and it's sort of sad because you know you 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 can't follow them on social media or be have any kind of contact with them in any way. So you go, well, this is probably the very last time I'll ever see or hear from you. Yeah, and that's really sad with a performer's level of contact mm. with the other person. I can't imagine what that feels like for you. Like it, not, not that I'm trying to make out that it's like truly devastating, but how do you even manage it? It is, it is devastating. You know, um, of course, there's always those professional boundaries, but you can't help but put a little bit of your heart into what you do. Yeah, yeah. For me personally, um, and so I, um, I keep everything that the kids give me, like, you know, little cards and notes and things like that, and I keep them all in a scrapbook. So in in my head, I've got them all, but they're kind of compartmentalized mm, you know yeah. they're, they're all there and they mean a lot but close the book yeah you know, and move it move it to the side kind of thing um it, it is hard but for, for all all of that kind of pain if you're going to call it that the joy that you have to counteract it all is just honestly those young people make me die they, that's so <laughs> funny they, they keep everything in perspective if you're having a bad day mm. there's nothing like a, a child to cheer you up you know with their outlook on life and their perspective it's just the best honestly i couldn't imagine doing anything else wow that's so lovely want to jump in yeah why not um (laughs) (laughs) i was really enjoying that yeah (laughs) is there anything about um health and wellness and fitness that you would like to see get in the bin yeah yeah, yes. And I don't even know if they still do it anymore, but you know when people try and um, market cardio in a, in a new and interesting way? 
Like, <laughs> Still just running, isn't it? Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, my favorite, I say favorite, I'm, my least favorite one was um, it's probably a trademarks thing. So I'd say something that rhymes with bumba. And uh, <laughs> you had to buy a special maraca if you wanted to burn more calories. You know, <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know about the maraca. I didn't know about no, the maraca. Yeah. That's, that's, oh, yeah. That's yeah. Boring. Yeah. That kind of thing for me can get in the bin. Yeah. And there was a time when a lot of performers were, were teaching these classes, you know. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. It was My everywhere. friends were doing it. Rumba. Like, like I had to get rumba. Ah, <laughs> uh, rumba. Tumba. <laughs> if Tumba. we do every other letter, no. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I think we could say. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Zumba. <laughs> I was like, go on, Bobby. Go on. <laughs> it's like you were baiting not, me not into it. Not getting sponsored by Zumba. <laughs> I'm, okay, I'm okay with that. <laughs> is it still going? I don't even know. Is yeah, that, it is still going. It's still there. Yeah, yeah it's still no. in like leisure centres. Yeah, leisure centres, community halls, yeah. like people who did it uh, 10, 15 years ago who are now a little bit older, who still enjoyed that type of exercise. <laughs> usually. Mm. Usually. You know, it used to be like a bougie... Used to be thing. like jazzercise. Yes. It is it is the the 15 years ago jazzercise. Mm. Good old jazzercise. Gotta love it. Fewer hot pants. So uh, literally now you, we've got that in the bin. Cardio that's marketed as anything else. Uh, yeah. Anything else? I felt um, like you had a list. I, I didn't really have a list, but <laughs> I know you talk about this almost every week. Um, but it, it's it's the Instagram side of things, you mm. know. Um, and I don't want to copy what previous guests have said, but I'm going to. Yeah. <laughs> it's there was a time in my life about two years ago, just before COVID, when everybody was suddenly posting these pictures where they looked completely different, covered in oil mm. and some kind of like motor oil. Um, <laughs> I mean, it was, you know, it was like one friend and another one. It was like almost a bit cultish, you know. Um, I think that kind of thing should get in the bin because I think if I had done that myself with my own kind of psychological makeup, I would have set a standard in in my head that I couldn't sustain. I couldn't keep it, and if I fall under that, mm. I'm going to feel inadequate. Yeah, yeah. This is the thing we've I've, we've both said a lot of times is. The, you're, you're taking this picture and then all you're ever going to think about yeah. moving forward is, remember this time I looked like this? Yeah. Well, and how I can never maintain that. What one, of the, one of my friends who had the, the picture said underneath, I can't believe this is me. Because it it, it, it it wasn't <laughs> right. It wasn't even in that day. Like that's the uh, we should mention that we're referring to this specifically as a before and after thing, rather than just. Although we we have questions about why you'd have that picture anyway, but the, I sort of have less problems with it if they just want a photo shoot because they they've been going for it. But when it's compared to a before photo Ooh. that is them in their pants in a room, yeah, uh, with their normal lighting and that separate horrendous. I saw from the photographer that does this, like a, a reel of them, like here's pictures of them in the studio and here's it afterwards edited. And I got to see what the reality was oh, on the screen of the camera. And I was like, it's horrendously different. Like not only is he adding muscle to these people right. and definition, obviously quite easy on Photoshop. You can do it on your phone for goodness sake, like adding muscle definition. He's changing the color of their skin. Mm. You know, he's adding that tan afterwards which is yeah. insane. And he's upping that reflectiveness of the baby oil that they've got okay. on there. So it's... It, <laughs> on it's extra reflective baby oil. Yeah, fantastic picture. If you were looking for a magazine shoot, brilliant, well done. Mm. But but not as a before and after picture. Anyway, we rant about this a lot. Yeah, we do. Yeah. But it's fun. <laughs> Just make it easy for us. Yeah, it does, yeah. Uh, 
Do you have any advice to someone that might want to enter into the same type of aspect of the industry as you? Uh, as a chaperone? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, I, I would say, um, well, firstly, I think there's a bit of a, a gap uh, for chaperones, really. Um, there seems, as particularly further afield than London, you know, there's, there's a lot of people who have done maybe um, at their local theatres or even at, you know, a big local theatre, the pantomime season, which is, you know, what, th three weeks a year or something like that. And they're, they're suddenly saying, you know, they're head chaperones, which they were. But I think that's different to a long run running show, working mm. these kids day in, day out. Um, so the kind of people that I would really like to be working more with are, are people who know the industry, people like yourselves, uh, people like me who knows what it's like as a child performer, what, what, the reality of that is for them. Um, people who understand the rehearsal procedure, people who understand the kind of hierarchy of our industry and, and the world. Um, we, we get a lot of kind of ex-teachers, which is which is good, but very different to what it is we're doing and the kind of approach that we take. Um, I don't know. I guess I think the theatre industry is kind of a really weird mix of old school attitudes and up and coming kind of, I'm thinking about Ellen Kane, you know, from Matilda, like she's wonderful to work with. Yeah. Fun fact. <laughs> Fun fact. So, you know, I did the movie. Yeah. She asked me if I would uh, be a little guest in the um, Miracle. Yeah. And a little clipboard. Yeah. You've seen it, you've seen Oh, of course you saw it. You were invited, weren't you? Yes, I was invited. I was invited to it. Uh, yes, I have seen it, but I missed you. Because there's so much going on in Miracle. That, yeah, Miracle is wild. Okay, uh, you know, to be fair, it probably is the worst scene in the movie. <laughs> it's not the worst scene in the movie. Oh, which which one? Miracle. What? The, no, you, I, I thought it was mental and I loved it. Oh. I feel like <laughs> I feel like we're in very dodgy ground right now. <laughs> the ice is thin. It, it was very, very different to what it is in the show. Yes. Uh, I don't think that was bad, but you were in it. Yeah. Did you see Richard Asprey? He was in there too. In the I did see him. Of course, she always got lovely hair. Yes. Yes. Uh, and he's he's flirting with the camera at all times. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, it's a skill. I just had a clipboard. <laughs> <laughs> flirting with a clipboard. Now, without telling us oh. if you have successfully done this or not, we're going to guess whether you've lied or not, and if so, what it was. Uh, I'll go first. I'm going to put an actual guess in. Okay. I'm going to say, and don't tell us if it's true yet or not, okay, if I you haven't lied. Hide my face. I don't think that Cameron McIntosh was sat behind the lady in the interview. Bobby. That is a strong choice. I don't think you've lied. <gasps> okay, now tell us. I wasn't in Miracle Babes. Oh! Oh! oh right at the end! Oh. Right at the end, two right seconds there. before! Oh, how did we not see it coming? Oh. Oh. It's like I knew you were going to ask. It's like, oh my goodness oh. me. Uh, I was like, how did I miss you in that? I feel like I would have seen you if it didn't click. That is beautifully done. Well oh. done. Thank Big fan. Much. Damn! Damn! Big fan of that. <laughs> Well, <laughs> after that come down, it's time for a game of this or that. Yes. Okay, so we're going to have one minute on the clock. Stefan is going to present you with two options. Lightning round, you get to choose one of them, and then we will go through it. Okay. Ready? 
Three, two, one, go. Eggs or bacon? Eggs. White bread or brown bread? Brown bread. US office or friends? Friends. Cardio or resistance training? Resistance training. McDonald's or Burger King? McDonald's. Singing or acting? Acting. Matilda or Mary Poppins? <laughs> Mary Poppins. Yoga or Pilates? Yoga. Family Guy or Love Island? Family Guy. Domino's Pizza or Papa John's? Domino's. Sport or dance? Sport. Alcohol or chocolate? Chocolate. Matching socks or mismatching socks? Matching. Coke or Pepsi? Pepsi. Czech or British? <laughs> British. Game of Thrones or Glee? <laughs> Glee. Book or Kindle? Kindle. Clean shaven or beard? Clean shaven. Personal chef or personal stylist? Personal stylist. Guitar or piano? Piano. Sexy body or sexy mind? Sexy both. <laughs> Shower or bath? Shower. Joseph or Les Mis? Joseph. Dogs or babies? Dogs. Snakes or badgers? Snakes. Theme park or water park? Water park. Running or walking? Running. Tea or coffee? Coffee. Bobby or Stefan? Bobby or Stefan Samway! Yay! 48 seconds. Ooh, Very rapid. nice. Rapid. Rapid. Uh, can I go into this? Czech or British? No, it's an Easter egg. <laughs> what? It's, it's an Easter egg just for Mitch. <laughs> Am I allowed to ask what it is? Or do we need to cut the podcast? Uh, let's leave it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. All right. All right. All right. Let's leave it okay. out. Um, <laughs> and on that note, <laughs> thank you so much for joining us, Mitch. It's been a joy. Yeah, thank you so much, man. That's brilliant. It has been a pleasure. Good luck with Charlie. Thank you very much. Ooh, very exciting. And, well, I'll be in touch with you really soon anyway, but thank you very much at home or wherever you might be for listening. And if you've enjoyed this episode, click those like and subscribe buttons and find us on Instagram at fit underscore talk. As always, if you have any questions you want answered, slip on slide into my DMs. <laughs> I will be sat there wearing a feather boa. Oh. Yeah, I went rogue. Yeah. I yeah. liked it. I don't know why I, I ended it. up there, but it felt like a feather boa. Ooh. Thanks mm. again for listening. And if you like what you've heard, we've been fit to talk with our guest, Mitch Colbuck and me, Stefan. And me, Bobby. And if you didn't like it, we've been Joe Wicks. Peace out. Peace <laughs> out.